Amber and Amanda here. We'd like to introduce you to the newest podcast, Article 15, produced by Veterans Drinking Vodka Production and hosted by our good friend, Ryan Brazel. Article 15 is attempting to bring both awareness and an end to 22 veterans committing suicide every day. Ryan speaks with everyday veterans with everyday issues for veterans acclimated back into civilian life. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Amber, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, well, Amanda, I still haven't gone to the liquor store. That's okay. uh, We've been super busy. We really have. So I'm going with my trusty Keystone. A lot. Do they even make regular Keystone? I don't know. I grabbed a stone and that's what I'm drinking tonight. Keystone light it is. What are you drinking, Amanda? I'm actually drinking beer tonight, too. I'm drinking from our local brewery here, Four Peaks Brewing Company in Arizona, and it's a peach golden ale. That sounds good. It's delicious. I don't know if you can see the label. It's got a little, like, van on it. Is it really peachy? Yeah, it is really peachy. But it's Like, sweet peachy, but... Not sweet. Not sweet peachy. It's like a savory peach, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And then you need to bring me some home, please. I'll bring a case home when I come back from Arizona because it's <laughs> delicious. I might bring two because I'm missing my Dallas Blondes right now. Like that's my, one of my favorites. Can't get it here. I love, I like, I mean, that's one of the ones from the local breweries here that I like too. Yeah. So. The Dallas Blonde is good, but this one's not bad. It's very peachy. It's delicious. It's kind of refreshing, which is nice because it's been hot in Arizona, even though it's Thanksgiving time. Shoot, it's hot here, too. Crazy. I know our guest tonight, she's in New Jersey. It's probably not hot there. It is not. It is cold here. So I have my coffee, but I do have a little bit of brandy in it. Because it's cold here. I I like it. Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka or Beer. Or Beer. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking. Yes, (laughs) sometimes vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell, and we are here to tell them. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Kelly Lowry Bulger. She served in the United States Coast Guard from 2000 to 2004 as a yeoman. How are you doing today, Kelly? And what are you drinking? And I am. Drinking in my Coast Guard mug. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty. And Did you have to, like, custom order that from somewhere? Because surely they they don't make things. Oh, no, this was in my exchange. The Coast Guard has an exchange? Yes, I got this at a Coast Guard exchange. (laughs) And then that was one thing. My daughter is uh, in the Coast Guard, uh, the Coast Guard Academy right now. And so I asked her if she would please for Christmas get me another mug because I only have my one Coast Guard mug. Like well, hopefully she comes through with that. I'm hoping so. They have a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> I am drinking coffee, but I do have brandy in it because it is cold here in New Jersey. Is there snow yet? We have not had snow, no. I don't think, no. Kansas, because I'm also originally from Kansas, they've had snow. That's why I had to think about it. So I was like, I know someone had snow, but it wasn't me. 
<laughs> so you were actually the shit wasn't us in Texas. No, it was not you. Or Arizona. That was not happening. Right? No. Um, you're pretty close to the beach, so does it take longer to snow there because of the ocean or does it not matter? It actually we can get really bad snow swells because of the ocean. So it'll oh. come off the water and then we'll get really bad snowstorms. So Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Get a couple of nor'easters. Nor'easters. Yeah. You gotta love the nor'easter. That's I don't miss them at all. No. I've been stuck in a they're, few nor'easters up in New England. Yeah, they're crazy. And that's <laughs> something like coming from Kansas where you have crazy weather, like that's one thing it's known for. And then to come here and I was like, what in the world is a nor'easter? And why does this do this crazy <laughs> whatever? Like it'll, it just does whatever, you know, either snow or upside down rain or. My name is Doc. I am hosting a softball tournament in June. Actually, it will be June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the first weekend. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday event to raise money for Mission 22 to help prevent veteran suicide. Because as you know, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. I personally am a Mission 22 survivor. This June will be 15 years for myself from when I tried to commit suicide. So it's just in my heart to give to Mission 22. I would love for y'all to be a part of this tournament by giving donations. I can be reached by email and it's beard, B-E-A-R-D, bash, B-A-S-H dot softball at gmail.com. I would greatly appreciate as many donations as possible and it does not have to be $5, $10. It can be 50 cents. All proceeds will go to Mission 22. All right, Kelly, you just mentioned that you're actually from Kansas. Can you tell us a little bit about how your journey started? Absolutely. So I actually joined the military kind of late in life. I was 21. I did two years of school and then well, three years of school total and tried to go to Oklahoma State, tried to go to Wichita State. And then I was bartending. And I remember this is back. I'm old. This is back when uh, like you didn't have insurance until you were 26 unless you were in school. And so I remember my dad, I'm the oldest of three. My dad came up to me and was like, you know, you're not working or you're working as a bartender. You don't have insurance anymore because you're not in school. So what are you going to do? And I was like, I, I, I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't really know. And I was moving as well, like from one apartment to another. And he was like, well, you have a week to tell me what you're going to do. And bartending is not the answer. And I was like, all right. So I was moving. And in one of my boxes, I actually had a friend who had attempted to go into the Coast Guard. And that flyer was in that box, like when I was moving. And I picked it up. And actually, the Navy had showed up at my door that week asking me about joining. And I was like, no, I don't want to be forever on a ship. And then I found that flyer and I was like, but I could do this. <laughs> and so I like, I remember I went and you had to go, I had to go to Oklahoma city. There's no one in Kansas that I could talk to where I was in Wichita. And so I went down to Oklahoma city, met with a recruiter, got signed up and like I left in November, but I remember I went back to my dad and I was like, so my parents, I was like, I'm going to join the coast guard. And my dad was like, that was not what I was talking about. <laughs> you, you don't the have Navy to the military. Been, the Navy must have been super desperate to be making house calls. It was so, it was such a strange, like, I was like, what? Okay. But yeah, they were, I remember they were at my door. Like, That's I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe uh, they were. It was back hey. in 2000. 
don't know what they're needing. Yeah. So, so you told us how you got to the Coast Guard. How or why did you become a yeoman? Um, so I had college. And I honestly was just kind of looking at how am I going to, I wanted a job. Like I really wanted to have a, a, an eight to four job and try to do a little bit of traveling, get out of Kansas for sure. So I looked at the Coast Guard. I saw on their website that they had just the different careers. And I always kind of liked organizational work. I really found, especially like as I've grown through this, I, I really do thrive in that kind of environment. So I was like, I'll do yeoman, and I was guaranteed to go to school. So with the Coast Guard, it's a little different than with some of the branches. Like when you get out of boot camp, you are a you know a grunt, you're a seaman or an airman, and your job is until you can go to school is to do all the you know the low man work on a boat or at a station. And I was guaranteed to go straight to A school, and so normally you're on a list to go to A school, and I was guaranteed because I had college to go to school. So I went to California for school for three months, right out of boot camp. And I, there was only one, I was the only one there from boot camp. Everybody else had been in for a couple of years. Um, so that was interesting. And then, <laughs> they were really nice to me. <laughs> I'm sure they were extra nice. Absolutely. I was, I felt like such a jerk. I was like, no one warned me that this is not how you're supposed to do this. It's but funny it was, though. It's funny that you said you went Coast Guard because you didn't want to do Navy and be on a a boat your whole time or whatever, but <laughs> I was in the Navy and I'd never deployed. I was on the USS Ronald Reagan, which is an aircraft carrier for two months and 24 days. Otherwise I was on shore duty. Um, yeah, you're sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was in 10 years and I only did three years on the boat and the rest of the time I was on shore duty. Right. And I've heard so many people do that. And then even my husband, he was on a boat for two years, maybe a little more. And I've never been on a boat. I've never I've only time I've been on a Coast Guard boat was to go see the shoreline of Atlantic City because I had friends that worked at the station in Atlantic City and they were like, oh, you should see it from the water. So I got to go out. <laughs> oh, the cool. time I was in, I was on, a, was on a boat, a Coast Guard boat. Well, it worked out in your favor then. Where were you stationed and what was your favorite part? All right. So right out of boot camp, which boot camp for all Coast Guard is in Cape May, New Jersey. Right out of boot camp, then I went to California, Petaluma, California. I actually, I loved California. It was so nice up there. Um, and we would go every weekend to San Francisco and just, we had a, so much fun. And we went to Napa because I was 21. So we went to Napa and got to on the weekends and did train rides. And I loved it up there. That was a lot of fun. So I did three or four, four months there. And then I was stationed in... I got stationed in Cape May, so that's back where our boot camp is, but it's also, like, there's a lot of yeoman jobs there, so I worked in the housing office there and the Pershing office there for paying personnel, and then I was stationed at Sandy Hook and the as the yeoman and housing office, uh, at the housing office there as well, so Sandy Hook, New Jersey, so that's the very, it's like at the very top of the beaches of New Jersey. Being um, from the middle of the country, going to boot camp and then getting stationed on the east coast but having your a school on the west coast east coast or west coast i've been here for so long i love the east coast i love the culture of the east coast i think it's awesome but i think it's gorgeous in the west coast but i don't know that i can go that slow the west coast to me is just such a slower pace that's funny that that's just that's i've never heard anyone say the west coast was slow yeah, um, just like from my the dealings that I had there, like they're just 
and then friends that have been stationed out out there they're like there's but it's a lot of my friends that I've known from the East Coast and then they go to the West Coast and they're like I went to the dentist and it was no like I got there and I waited for two hours and they were like, oh, well, the dentist is a little busy. <laughs> You're like, what? Oh, well, don't come to the South then. <laughs> oh, no, I know that I <laughs> Right, right. That dentist probably had to finish surfing before he could come in. Right, right. Which out where I'm at, we have that too, but. It's a <laughs> so that's only our second vote for the East Coast. Yeah. Out of East all Coast. the people we've interviewed, we only have two East Coast Two East pro. Coast votes. Yeah. I have to say, when I first moved here, though, and I was in Cape May, which is South Jersey, it's so far from New York City. So it's a little bit kinder, maybe, maybe a little bit for New Jersey. But I remember like the first two years that I lived here, I would get so hurt and like, personally feel hurt because somebody like wouldn't open a door or would look at me rude or would say something rude. Like I did something and my friends were just like, Hey, that's just how people are here. It has nothing to do with you. And I, I like, but it took me like two years to get over the fact that people weren't just trying to hurt my feelings, my little Kansas feelings. It's a different culture. I yeah. lived in Texas. I'm still getting used to people calling me ma'am. Five years in yeah. middle northern states, so like Montana and stuff. I mean, super polite. The Midwest, <laughs> super polite people, like you were saying. But the Northeast, those people are rude. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not them being rude. It's just how that, how they that are. culture up there. I mean, I mean the Vermont and stuff. Yeah. But, so, I mean, I've been... I've been in the South for almost eight years and I still am getting used to being called ma'am. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's a different culture for sure. I appreciate it though. She's enjoying every moment of it. (laughs) We have, because I I married a Coastie here and he's from North Jersey. And so when you have our two families together at first, it would just crack us both up because my parents just talked so slow compared to his parents who just stopped so fast. And so we would just sit there and be like, oh, you know, like this is entertainment. <laughs> it's happening right now. <laughs> they got along so well. And so we would just, they'd just talk forever. And I'd be like, do they not hear the speed difference? <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't care. We would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD, their website www.rafa180.com or email at rafacbd at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters. In the four years, four years, right, that you were in? Yeah, yes. four years. I'm sure that you have an active duty or a sea story to tell us from that time. I don't have a sea story because I was not on the sea. Do they call it a sea story in the Coast Guard? No, they do. They do. Oh, okay. Okay. We're, we're trying to figure out what all the branches call it. And so the Army doesn't really call it anything, but they'll refer to it occasionally as a deployment story. Okay. If they deployed, the Navy's just sea story. Like everyone knows, the Navy is sea story. Right. We're we're trying to figure it out. We're on a learning curve. There you go. Thank you. What is it for the Air Force? Do we know yet? 
we don't know because the Air Force okay. didn't want to come on our podcast. No, 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 you haven't spoken to a single Air Force veteran. No, we talked to one. Uno. Uno, one. One. It's funny that you've talked to more Coast Guard than you've talked to Air Force. I don't, and that's the funny thing. It's like I'm trying. I, I was thinking for way too long trying to think of funny stories, and like really, we were just you know stupid kids doing. So tell us about experience then. What's an experience? An experience. You can share. Yes, surely. (laughs) No, I know. Drunken stories. Yeah. Well, we had like when when I was in, it was right. You know, when nine eleven happened too. So we had you know one like just weird thing was was right after nine eleven. I was working in Cape May, and that's where all the recruits go. And when you're in boot camp, so. Cape May is a peninsula, it's an island, but where you're at in it, there's water on the two sides of the boot camp, but we only see the water really on one side. On, I guess we see it on all sides because we would go to the beach. But anyways, they would tell you in boot camp, like the only way you're getting out of here is if you swim <laughs> and you're swimming to Delaware. That wasn't the side that was by Delaware anyways. Like it was Wildwood and then nothing. Like there was nothing. You couldn't do that. And Later, I mean, I found out later since then that somebody actually did that and it wasn't good at all. But after 9-11, I worked there. So I was on, I worked there. These kids thought that that's how they were going to get out was they were going to leave. So we had duty and it was the weirdest duty to have, but it was duty to stand guard outside the barracks for these recruits that thought they were, they were terrified that they were now in a war scene. And that's not what they thought coming in. And so we were like, just, it's fine. Like, you know, you would like just have to stand all night waiting for a kid to try to run and jump into the water. We're like, no, 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 no. How big are boot camp classes with the Coast Guard? They're so much smaller. So, I mean, my boot camp class started at 130 and we ended up with 77. But now with COVID, they're 48 strong, I think. People aren't joining or they're keeping them small. But they're, they're just that. No, for COVID, it's they're keeping it that small just to keep the, the COVID numbers down to try to keep with distance. But with what, like when I went in, there was a wait list. There's always a wait list to get into the Coast Guard. So, and they've been pretty specific and pretty picky on what they're letting come in right now. And it's just because we're small. You know, right. we don't, we're right. smaller than the New York police department like we're not big <laughs> so, normally when you're in the coast guard that's the one thing I was like oh I have funny stories I don't know that I can say some of them if some of the people are on here like you know everybody in the coast guard like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and now my daughter's in and so it's, it is funny because she's at the academy and like we know people up there that were in I've been out for you know what 16 years but we know people that are chiefs and, and officers up there now. And it's so funny. because They're like, Lowry, what are you? And I'm like, yes, I have a daughter now. And they're like, wait, what? what? <laughs> like, what? Like, Remember, I was pregnant when you saw me. I was like, this is what happened. <laughs> now she's here. You're she's here now. <laughs> I know it makes us feel old, but it is what it is. <laughs> nice, nice. So were you married... You were both in, so you were dual military married, or you didn't get married until you got up. My grandfather, who was Army, that was like his one thing. I remember he was like, you do not marry somebody with the same uniform. Do you understand me? There should never be two uniforms in the closet. And I was like, yes, sir. I get you. So I cracked up because when we started dating, we were both in. 
but he, I wouldn't actually officially date him until he got out. So I was stationed in Cape May in April and he got out of the Coast Guard in September. So we really didn't start dating until like yeah. I wouldn't call it dating until September. <laughs> yeah, to, you know, live up to your grandpa's wishes. Absolutely. Like no one knew that he existed <laughs> until September when he I could officially say he was out. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> he lived or worked up North Jersey as a firefighter. Like he was able to get that job. Oh, that's cool. So he was so able to stay local. Yeah. So he really did. Wait, I always crack up because he really did eight years because, or well, seven years because we, I'd already been in about a year when he, when we got married, but like we got married when we were in right after 9-11. He was like, I was like, you poor thing. Like you did your four years. And then you got to do as a spouse. He did three years with me. <laughs> You're like, welcome so, to the other side. How did he do with yeah, the? Yeah, and he was really, he was. So my husband cracks me up because he is the the housewife, perfect housewife. On his days <laughs> off, he was home with the kids, and he was the gossip person out in housing. Like I worked in housing, and I'd have to be like, dude, you have to stop talking. Like. <laughs> If I wanted to know something that was happening, I could just ask him because he always knew the coffee clutch. <laughs> he went to the mommy and me's with our daughter and like, he was, he was he but he had a lot of days off because he's a fireman. So he was right. off a lot. So he would stay and it, and I worked, you know, on the same base. So it was kind of nice going for lunch and that kind of stuff. It's just That's so funny because it does seem like such a different world because we, since then, when one I was in, I had, we had our first two children, but now we have four daughters. So like our two little ones don't know anything really about it. They see pictures, but they've never lived on anything. Never experienced the military life. Yeah. (laughs) They're funny. So yeah, we tell them a little bit of stuff, but, and they, a lot of their friends, like our youngest, her godparents are both, were our neighbors when we lived on Sandy Hook and we've traveled all over to see them where they're stationed because it's a you know it is such a good family as you guys know it's a right yeah. people that yeah absolutely I still travel around and see all my military friends it's like mm-hmm. I always have somewhere to stay everywhere in the country right you know and that's always the fun part of it we always have we're like we're here so you guys can come to the beach and, then and now like, since we've been doing this podcast we have even more places that we can go yeah. so ever come to New Jersey I live by the beach <laughs> Yes, we might make our way up there. Do you have a VFW local or an American Legion? We do. Awesome. When we go on our VFW tour, we will make our way up there. We'll put it on there. Yeah, list. definitely. And there yeah. are a lot of coasties here because we have a lot. Of, New Jersey has a ton of Coast Guard bases. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go up there and recruit. There you go. We're recruiting veterans. Not so we won't even have to. We'll just be sitting sitting around, and they can just come and do their interviews right there. Right. right. We'll on, the spot. Stories. on the spot. <laughs> we'll get all kinds of good Coast Guard stories. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So eventually you do have to get out, which you've talked a little bit about. How was your transition from being in the Coast Guard to being a civilian? It was, it was definitely hard. I It was hard for me to get out. I loved what I did for I loved being a yeoman. I loved helping people transition in and out of the Coast Guard. I loved, you know, just making sure families were taken care of. Like that's how I kind of looked at it. And I loved that part. So then I got out and I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years just because there was no job that I could, even when I was in, that's one reason why I got out. I did not make anything what it cost to put my two kids in daycare. So I stayed home for eight years and I finished my bachelor's 
and I got my master's in school counseling. So I stayed, you know, just working on that and having children. I just continued to keep having kids. So <laughs> <laughs> I have four daughters and uh, yeah. So I actually went back to work when our youngest was 18 months old at the at a Coast Guard, at Cape May in the Coast Guard base as a counselor. I worked for work life as a family, uh, like in their with family counseling, and I helped with. I, and it was great because I got to help members find childcare and like make sure there was childcare and, and really work for subsidies and, and things like that. And I got to talk to commands about, you know, being lenient and being helpful to single members that might need childcare and things like that. So I really loved that part of it. And I worked for the Coast Guard as a civilian for two years. That was great, but it was also... Like I had just, I was the, my job, that person, there were only five of us in the Coast Guard because it's so small. And so my AOR was from Staten Island to Florida out to Ohio. So it could have a lot of traveling in it. And when you have four kids, four young kids, like it was missing a lot. So I wanted to use my master's of counseling, school counseling and get into a school. So it did help me get into the schools. It's definitely when you can say that you're a veteran and you're a woman and you've you know, when you're older and you're not having children anymore, those are all helpful points when you're trying to get into a school. But I love, I work in a high school and I love it because I get to really talk to kids about, you know, planning their futures and what they want to do. And it's a, I mean, it's fun. And I feel like I kind of have so many experiences that when your kid's like, oh, I think I want to do community college. I'm like, I've done that. I'm thinking I want to do military. I'm like, what service would you like to do? thinking I want to do, you know, a, a four-year university. I've done that too. So it's a lot, you know, I feel like I have a lot of experiences that I can at least, you know, empathize with what a student or a family is, is trying to uh, accomplish. So it definitely I I, I was, I, I want to just say thank you um, for, for what you do and stuff. I can see your face when you talk about it. One of the most influential, important people to me in my life in my high school career was my, um, my school counselor. So whether you believe it or not, or think you're having an impact on kids or not, I promise you, you are. (laughs) Thank you. It's hard. It's definitely the the trenches, but it's, I love it. It it changes every day. So I absolutely love my job. There's never the same day twice. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kids will come at you with all kinds of stuff. And this year, and he comes at me with all kinds of stuff. So I can only imagine having like a whole group of them. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, they helped me. The military's helped a lot. Just like in New Jersey, and I know a lot of different states do that. You for state jobs or for jobs like like working in a school district, which teachers are paid by the state. So you know, it's kind of the same thing. You do get more points when you're applying to things. So that's always like then that's something I always tell my kids. I'm like. You know, even if you do two years of active duty and two years of a reserve in a military, like you still get to put those points towards like if you wanted to be work for the state or work for, you know, in federally yeah, federal and, government or any any of those programs. Right. So yeah. and go see the world for a minute. Like right. Travel. Travel. It's not the worst thing. To do. <laughs> Join the Air Force. Get five star accommodations. For free. Yeah. I mean, you're getting paid to do it. Yeah, too. you're getting. I got paid to travel the world. Exactly. I'm like I've been to all these places, and I didn't have to pay a dime to go to any of them, right. except for my bar tab. And you got to see just such amazing things. Like we always cracked up because my youngest was baptized on Nantucket Island, 
And I remember when we were there, my mom and I were on the beach and she was like, like we were just standing, it was freezing, mind you. It was February on Nantucket Island. So it's not like when you go to Nantucket, but that's when her Christine was. So we we went there and her godfather was the commanding officer of the base there. So we got to, like, it was a really nice trip. And my mom was like, when else would we have ever got to come here and see this? Like my mom from Kansas, you know, she was like, just beautiful. And and if you wouldn't have just decided to join the Coast Guard, you know, there's no, we would never have been here. (laughs) And that's true on so many levels. Right. Like, yeah, just to think of all the things and where you are now and, and, you know, it is because of those decisions. And Yeah, yeah. Not it's bad. really neat. Some of the, <laughs> and especially being, I mean, being a service member is cool, but, like, if you have children that are growing up with you as a service member, they get to experience really cool things that a lot of their friends don't get to experience either. Mm-hmm. And They're so, so resilient, those kids. Yeah. Military kids are just some of the most resilient kids it's because they, I mean, they've seen tough. Yeah. You know, and I always say, because my kids complain, because we talk about, you know, maybe at some point that we would move back to Kansas and my kids like, we can't leave our friends. And I'm like, excuse me, you know, your friends, the mil- your Coast Guard friends leave every three to four years and go pick up and make new friends. You would be fine. So. Right. You do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You would be fine. <laughs> All right. So how are you doing now that you're settled into this career that you love and your babies are growing up and all that? How are, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I definitely can tell like my, where I was in the Coast Guard was always about helping and serving people and my members. And so I think I'm, I'm very fortunate. I was able to take that into my next career because when you're helping others and you're serving others, it really, to me, it just is helpful with your own life. Like I feel good because I help other people. When I was in the service, I loved my job and I always felt good about it, you know, doing that too. And now, yeah, having my kids all growing up and especially my oldest who's now there and all she wants to do is fly for the Coast Guard. She wants to be a helicopter pilot. Like all she wants to do is do search and rescue. Like that's all she can think of. So it's good. But it is like one thing I've tried to do in the schools is to get my students more involved with understanding and recognizing veterans throughout the community because I think that's something that it shouldn't just be the veterans talking to each other. Sometimes I, I do think it's helpful if the community is more involved and are listening to their stories and, and having more communication and asking about their stories because they have such great stories. I mean, I don't think I have the best stories, but I've met so many that have, and I love to listen to them. And, and I'm very thankful that the districts that I've worked for have really allowed me to introduce veterans into their community and their community to the veterans within their own populations. And so we've had, like when I first became a counselor, I was in elementary schools. So that's always really fun because you get some of play. <laughs> I started Veterans Day where we just invited veterans into the school and the kids got to sing to them and serve them breakfast, you know, like what we've all been to. But then the veterans got to go into the classrooms and answer questions and talk to them. And that was like how the rest of the day was. And so then we've been doing that more and more like every year. That's like what I try to champion is, okay, so what can we do that's bigger? Let's get more people in here. Because it's a, it's the way I like would say to my students when they were little is I would have the 
like the kindergartners stand up when I was in elementary school, a little one, the, maybe half the kindergartners, I'd have them stand up and I'd be like, okay, so if this was the United States, these kindergartners, they're your youngest ones. And there's what, 1% of them that of all of you, this is your military. It's going to be your younger adults and not a lot of them. So you got to find them and make them and make sure that they're involved in your community. That was kind of a, what I've been trying to do help throughout the schools of, of making sure that they understand who veterans are and, and try to invite them into their communities a little bit more. That's really cool. Yep. I love that. I know. <laughs> I, I don't have anything else to say about that other than I love it. Yep. Okay. It's fine. I'm <laughs> glad I can do it. I'm glad I can, you know, like I, People listen where I'm at and want to do something. So. Stuff like that is just as important for the veterans as it is for the kids in school, for the communities. Like Absolutely. The recognition that veterans deserve that they don't always get unless you have issues or yeah. unless you've done something heroic. And the communities being able to say, well, just because that person doesn't wear a purple heart on their chest or a hat doesn't make them less of a veteran and we need to be as welcoming to them. Right. And I think it's also like not always having to throw a party, but just listening. Right. You know, and that's how we listen and we learn from the things of our past and we learn about the people in our community and, and what they did. And that's the one thing, like my grandfather, he was in the Korean War and that was at the end of his life, he finally started talking. And those were like the best stories you could ever get were his stories. And he, and I was always like, I'd say to him, like, why didn't you tell these stories? And he's like, cause they were hard. And I didn't think you'd want to hear them. And I was like, but we didn't ask. So, you know, that's something that I think as a community, I, I try to get that to where my students start recognizing to just ask because most of, most of my students have some kind of a veteran within their lives. Yeah. Just and that ask. is important to just start asking. Right. Yep. And not thinking that you're hurting their feelings or you're, you know, triggering them in any way. Most veterans that I have ever met would love to talk to you about what they've done. <laughs> right. They might pick and choose and compartmentalize right. a little bit what they want to tell and who they want to tell it to, but most of them are more than willing to talk about what they did and they get Absolutely. excited, especially if it's a, a child that's asking right. them. I do. Right. I get excited. Too bad children, children can't asking. listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah, no, children <laughs> should not listen to this podcast. <laughs> we, we're pretty non-politically correct in this uh, <laughs> this recording space but it is important and it's really part of what Amber and I are trying to do as well as like what you're trying to do with the children is just to get our veterans to ourselves included Amber and I to talk more about what we went through when we were in the service and what we went through when we got out of the service and to kind of remove that stigma that it's not okay to talk about it because it is absolutely and we're all gonna have good days and bad days and flaw days and happy days and and that's all okay I have to say and I've told this actually to the person later I had so this was when I worked as a civilian for the Coast Guard but I had one of my best and worst days as a woman veteran as a woman in the service and a woman veteran I was a veteran at the time but I got to meet with all the commanding officers of the that base and the surrounding bases so there was like five or six guys and all men that were in there and I was talking to them about how it is just as important for them to listen to and to consider the women the single moms that were in there or the moms that are 
you know, really struggling to find childcare because they want to be in the service. They didn't just sign up for nothing. Like they want to be here and they right. want to be able to help. So if you can listen and help them, you know, it shouldn't. And I was saying, you know, even as my own self, like I was always questioned, well, what are you doing with your kids when I had duty? But my husband was never questioned what he was doing with his kids when he was on duty. And that was always so frustrating to me because we both had duty and I was the only one being questioned. So it was the best because these men were listening to me and we were having real conversations about how to better the situations for all families that are in the, you know, in their services and, and that worked for them. And then I get this phone call the the secretary of the commanding officer like breaks in and she's like, Mrs. Walger, you need to, you have a phone call and you're not answering your phone. And I was like, I'm, and not answering my phone on purpose. And it was the child daycare center. And it was well after five o'clock. And my baby was at the child daycare center and they were not happy with me. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to leave. And so I run over to the child daycare center and pick him up, pick her up. This woman, she was like, how dare you do this to your child? How dare you? And mind you, I was five minutes late. Like, and yes, each one of those minutes cost me an extra $15, but still, she was like, how dare you? your poor daughter has been here. And the guilt that I felt was like the worst day I'd ever had. And it was the best day I'd ever had because that was the best audience and the best things I could say, you know, to these, to these commanding officers, like they listened to me and then it had that worst day. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I've seen that one commanding officer since then. And I've talked to him a little bit about it. And he was like, I had no idea. And I was like, and that was kind of my point was, you don't always know what you know, you're the people that you're serving, you know, that you're in charge of, that you're the commanding officer. You don't always know what they're going through, but they're all trying to juggle stuff and they're all trying to make sure it works. And so just listening and helping, you know, and making sure it's fair. Right. Yeah. It's so important. (laughs) (laughs) So if you had some advice for veterans that are either getting ready to become veterans or ones that have been struggling to find their way for a little bit, what would that advice be? Um, It's definitely think about what that next plan is. So is that what you're meaning? Like if you're thinking of getting out? Yeah. If you're getting ready to get out or if you've already been out, but you've kind of lost your way and you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's really with me. I always try to just do some soul searching when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Cause that was hard trying to figure out what it is in the military. It was easy, like not easy, but it was like you had a job to do and that was your job and it was what it was. So you really, I didn't have a necessary plan when I got out and that was hard. I mean, that was the first time in my life since I was like 12 years old that I didn't have a job. And that was, it was a lot. It was definitely like I needed to have counseling and then I needed to start on a goal. And that's why I started, you know, used my GI bill and went back to school and made sure I finished school and all that. But it's a, it's hard. And so talking to someone, I definitely recommend and trying to just soul search and figure out what it is you want to do. But before you get out, try to have a little bit of a plan. I mean, that's something my own sister and I, she's Air Force, we talk about is because she talks about, you know, maybe wanting to get out, but I'm like, okay, but what's the plan? Because you have to have a plan when you're getting out. And that's a hard thing because they're not always set up for it. If you're in, try to get your degree. If you can use the, you know, (laughs) tuition assistance, get some degree done because and don't get part of a degree from one of them online schools because then you're fucked. Totally. And you wasted all of that time with the University of Phoenix doing your online degree that you never finish. And those credits don't transfer. transfer. 
and my psychology yeah. degree was from the University of Phoenix, but I was warned, get it done. Do yeah. not quit. Yes. <laughs> doesn't mean yes. If you are just going to take a class or two at a time using the tuition assistance, make sure it's an accredited university. Absolutely. Make sure. And just use your local. Like you can yeah. use a local community, a local community college. college or, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's something, want, I mean. You want all those credits to transfer. Yeah. Don't transfer. Or community Whatever college. you decide to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and definitely try to figure that out. What do you, what do you like to do? I wanted to, I always thought I wanted to do nursing because my whole family of women are nurses and it, it, in New Jersey, it's very hard to become a nurse. I was on a list for four years while I was try, still getting my degree. So it was like, I finally got my bachelor's and I was like, okay. Now, and they were like, oh, you can now become a nurse. And I was like, no, <laughs> I have a degree in something else. I'm good. I'm I'm a bachelor's now. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I don't need to be a nurse now. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. 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 I think nurses, though, they still, like, make more than what I do. So maybe I should do that. You might not get the same satisfaction out of it, though. Probably not. Oh, my goodness. My sister, like like I said, my sister and my mom, they were all nurses. My aunts, grandmother, all of them. It's crazy. Do you have any men in your family besides you? I, your father and your really do. No, my nephew was the first and he's 10. How old are you? Sorry, my, my daughter's over here. He's 10. He is the first boy born in like 50 years. Wow. Crazy. Even my uncle who's on that side, he's like a, a half. Like he, yeah. he doesn't have the same mom as my mom did. So it's like no boys. What's yeah. even crazier about no that? Pressure. Though, you know, no men, pressure on your men, nephew. Men choose whether it's going to be a boy or girl. So all these men done effed up. <laughs> Continue <laughs> making all these girl babies. Made all, these girls. <laughs> <laughs> all these girls. But it is oh, funny because like cousins, they'll see like my, my, my mom had this one cousin and she had all boys. And when we had my this huge party for my mom's 50th birthday and she was there and she was like, my boys would never do something like this. And I was like, yes, that's the nice part of having girls. <laughs> you take oh, care man. of when you're older. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's funny. That's funny. I know. So many girls. Yes, so we have a lot. <laughs> if our listeners would like to contact you, if they had additional questions or if they needed someone to chat with or whatever the case might be, where can I feel like maybe if someone wanted to reach out to you to kind of do what you're doing with the veterans in the communities and stuff. Absolutely. I guess it's probably just easier with email because I'm not, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do, I'm so bad with all the other stuff. <laughs> My kids have accounts set up for me on things that I don't know what they are. So that's what you get when you have teenagers. I have a Snapchat account, right? And I have a, uh, <laughs> She said, right? I have other things. I just don't know what the handle or any of that stuff is. So <laughs> probably just email because I'm so seven nine k bulgers so at comcast.net. Yeah, and I'll put that in the show notes as well if anyone okay. would like to contact her. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. Do you want to talk a little bit about the charity we've chosen to support this episode? Sure. So we porting and talking about the fallen outdoors. They are a veteran, ran veteran, organized veteran founded organization across the entire country that takes veterans 
you don't have to be a combat vet. You don't have to. Yep. You don't have to be a special category of veteran. You're a veteran. It doesn't, you don't have to be a specific branch. Um, and they take you on hunting and fishing trips. Mm. Yes. So you can find them at the fallen but we learned about them. And so we are supporting them and spreading their information to our listeners because of their cause. It's, they are doing the same thing that we're trying to accomplish, and that is bringing about the 22 a day in mental health awareness in veterans. So, absolutely. Uh, we also have a merch store now where you can get t shirts and cool stuff. So, if you would like to have something from our Veterans Drinking Vodka merchandise store, pop on over. We'll put the link into our show notes and a portion of all of our merchandise sales will go to the Fallen Outdoors. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka if you would like to contact Amber or myself. Or you can email us directly at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. Please reach out if you would like to tell your story and be a guest on our podcast. You can send us a direct message on any of the social media platforms or email us at veterans drinking at Gmail. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple podcasts, Spotify, tune in Google podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. Also leave us a review and let us know what you think. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. We like constructive criticism. Don't be too mean. We might cry. Probably not. Amanda's not going to cry. I won't cry either. Not at, not at stuff like that. No, no. no. Give us your bit. best shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Help. But by leaving a review, it helps the algorithms in podcast world to keep our podcast up in the rankings so that more veterans can hear what we're doing. Yes. And you can also join us every Sunday for Veterans After Hours via Zoom. We start that up at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I think we went for like four hours, our last one. We're hanging out, telling stories, sharing resources, and meeting new friends. We do have to put the disclaimer out there that it is an unscripted veteran networking event. Uncensored, unscripted. Everyone is welcome, civilian, veteran, active duty, but we do have to remind you that it is an unscripted, uncensored networking event. But like the Fallen Outdoors is trying to bring awareness to and what Amanda and I are bringing awareness to along with mental health is that 22 veterans kill themselves every day and that number is just unacceptable. So 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers. Cheers.